Knoxville. Game Design. December 2019. SDL with C. With Jacob and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design for December 2019. This is a monthly discussion of our game projects and game development topics. Uh, my name is Levi Smith. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Looks like we have Jacob. I think uh, your mic's turned off. Oh, okay. I hear you now, Jacob. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead and get started for this month. Uh, didn't have too much news, but let me go ahead and share out my screen here. So, one thing I noticed is Dylan on his Twitter, he mentioned something about Peach Jam. I think this is a part of Momocon in Atlanta. Looks like it's... Uh, oh, actually, this is in December. So, yeah, maybe this is coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I thought this was a part of Momocon, but I guess this is something uh, different. So, yeah, I'm not sure if this you have to work in teams or if you can work individually, uh, it looks like you do have to work on site on this. So I'm not sure uh, you have to be 18 plus and you do have to uh, have a $10 deposit. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds pretty cool, like a good time. The only thing, the only question I have about this is like, do you bring your own? Uh, Jacob, did you have anything you want to talk about or show off? We showed off your Ludum Dari game a couple of months ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to show off that okay. really has gone very far. Okay, that's fine. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I was just talking about uh, Peach Jam in Atlanta. I think that's coming up in a couple of weeks. I haven't registered for it or anything. Let me share my screen. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like a good time. Yeah, I just didn't know if you bring your own PC or if they provide that or not. Um, I noticed that Drew Ragsdale, he uh, was uh, joined us, I don't know, earlier this year, and he's been working some more on his space shooters. Um, I'm not sure exactly which is the latest one. Uh, he has one called Cyberspace Shoot 'em Up. It looks pretty cool where you can uh, select your ship. I guess the ships have different properties. I think he works in Game Maker. I think he does a lot of Udemy tutorials. I think he gets a lot of food and examples in there. So, here. so I'm not sure if that's his old one or new one, because uh, when we did the, uh, uh, when he had the retro game, maybe this is the same thing, he did show us So maybe he just has one game. Let's see here. And it looks like he's been doing some Game Maker 2 tutorials over the past few days. So I'll post a link to these on the Knox Game Design website. I haven't watched these myself. But it looks like he has quite a few. And it does look like these are Game Maker Studio 2. So I guess if anyone's wanting to make the transition from Game Maker one to game maker two these may be a good resource it looks like these are like between uh two and ten minutes so definitely something you can probably watch in one sitting 
Um, I did have somebody uh, send in an email asking uh, or suggesting that we have a Discord. <laughs> so maybe I'm not promoting it very well, but yeah, it's right here on the website, the second block over from the top. You just click that, and I think that will give you the link. That'll give you the link for the invite to our Discord server. So that, that's continuing to grow, and yeah, that's where I'm posting a lot of the stuff. Um, so if you're looking for the slides, I always try to post out the slides before the meeting, uh, just so people have that as a, as a reference. Okay, so the topic for this month is C with SDL or SDL with C. This is kind of more like a history lesson here. Um, so basically, SDL is the simple direct media layer, and this was like, I don't know, I think the first release was in the late 90s, yeah, 1998. So before Game Maker and before Unity. Um, and this is uh, a game like library framework that I used, uh, I don't know, in the early 2000s. I developed a couple of games, Legend of Tux and Tetra City. And, but I think I developed those a few years later. I think I did some early stuff in SDL, though. Um, and you can find those on, uh, uh, let's see here, SourceForge, yeah. Okay, so it was created by Sam Lantinga. He's worked at Blizzard, Valve, and World of Warcraft. So it's pretty cool. Like when I use these libraries and I looked in the credits, I was like, oh, this is a guy that actually worked on World of Warcraft and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Um, so one nice thing about SDL is one set of libraries, but they have what they call bindings for multiple languages. So bindings basically means, well, you can download these libraries for like Ruby, which I did that Tetra City game in, or Python, and you can use the same calls, it's just in different languages. So that's always cool. Uh, so the games using SDL, like one game that I really liked a long time ago was called Chromium BSU. That's also on SourceForge. You just look it up, Chromium BSU. Uh, simple little shooter game. Um, and also on the SDO website, they list a whole bunch of games that have like either used or been developed in SDL. So I think like some of the ones they claim may have used SDL to port their game from Windows to Linux or other operating systems. I think uh, they have builds for Linux, Mac OS, and Windows. Uh, so and also emulators such as the DOSBox, those run on top of SDL. So pros and cons SDL with C. So uh, this talk is going to be focused on using the C language, uh, which was uh, still a very widely used language. It's a good language to know if you're planning on going to college and everything, because I know like a lot of university universities start out with C, or they have C as a part of the program. So pros, of SDL will see you have really low, low level control. Uh, you can go in there and manage your own memory and free up your own memory and really get down to the the, the metal, as we used to say. <laughs> um, you, you only use what you need in an SDL, so they have like a core SDL library, and then there's all these additional SDL libraries that you can add in, such as work for fonts and for um, music and other things like that. Uh, it's really fast. 
so when I've been I've been developing a simple game as an example, and co- compilation type takes like a matter of seconds. Whereas if you're developing in Unity or Game Maker and you press build, it can take maybe a minute or two depending on the size of your project. So it's very fast uh, for a comparable uh, game project size. Uh, small executables. I know in the simple game I developed, uh, it seems like it's just like a few megabytes, where if you develop anything with Unity, I think it's going to be like 80 megabytes or something crazy like that. Uh, so it's small executables, which makes those games easily distributable. Uh, it's totally free. You can download it and use it. I don't think you have to uh, include any attribution or anything like that. It, it uses what's called the Zlib license. And everything that I'll be talking about today is for SDL2. Um, I think the SDL1 or 1.4, I think it used the GPL, but it seems like everybody's like moving away way toward the GPL now. Uh, but yeah, I think the Zlib license is kind of like the MIT license, or where it's just like, okay, do with it whatever you want. Uh, so it's pretty nice. It doesn't put any splash screens or doesn't put any ads or anything like that. So you're just free, free to use it as much as you want. As I mentioned earlier, it's multi-platform. You can use it on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Um, they may have it for other platforms like FreeBSD, but I don't know. Um, and you can also do 2D and 3D. Today I'll be primarily talking about the 2D SDL, but uh, for that Tetra City game that I did years ago, I did do that in 3D using OpenGL, but I think that's a talk for another day. <laughs> could do one talk specifically on 3D. The cons of SDL with C can be a little bit complex to set up. Uh, it's not hard, but it may take you, I don't know, probably maybe an hour or two to get it all set up and running where if, if you're using unity or game maker i mean you're 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 up and running in a matter of minutes uh you can run into issues when you're allocating your memory which uh if you don't free up all your memory that can lead to memory leaks which is not a good thing because it continually can continually starts eating up memory if you don't free uh Free your memory. There's no garbage collection like uh, in languages like C Sharp and Java. Once you are no longer referencing an object, then eventually those get flagged for deletion. When there's nothing pointing to an object, those get flagged for deletion. That's kind of a good thing and bad thing. The good thing is you don't have to manage that yourself uh, in a garbage collection language. Uh, the bad thing is sometimes the garbage collector comes around uh at a i don't know less than optimal time so you can like notice a lag spike in your game because the garbage collector is running so garbage collection is basically just whenever all these things that no longer have pointers or references pointing to them uh they get freed up so that memory can be used for other things um, a lot of game frameworks hide the messy details in C or SDL and C. You have pretty much have to do everything yourself, like allocating uh, your uh, sprites and allocating music and freeing those up and things like that. Um, and anything besides the basic uh, li- operations require libraries, like out of the box. A quote-unquote box. <laughs> SDL will handle joysticks. It'll handle keyboard input. It'll display sprites to the screen and things like that. But music 
and uh, fonts and other things like that require additional libraries. But like I said, those are all also freely available and they aren't too difficult to under, uh, install. So getting started with SDL, you can go to the website. It's just libsdl.org. So yeah, and these are some of the games over here that they have listed. But yeah, current version is 2.0. But uh, yeah, you just click on, I think there's uh, download SDL 2.0, and they have the binary. So if you're wanting to play an SDL game, all you need is the binaries. But if you're actually developing a game in SDL, you got to get the development libraries, which are a little bit lower down. You can either get them for Visual Studio or MinGW. Today I'll be talking about... I'll be using MinGW. Uh, I tried doing the macOS uh, installer, uh, but I couldn't get that to work. And Linux, I was able to get that working. I'll talk about that later on in the talk. <clears throat> so yeah, you just get those. It'll give you a tar.gz file. You also want this program called MinGW. It's kind of like Sigwin. Let's see here. MinGW.org. Uh-oh. What was that domain? Huh. Oh, maybe I put an HTTPS on there. Let's see here. Copy link. MinGW. Wow, that's kind of interesting right there. It's pending. I can't work. Well, this was up and running the other day. <laughs> That, that's very bizarre. So yeah, hopefully they get that back up and running again. Um, but yeah, you just download that. And it'll give you like a little bash prompt right here. And you can do all your standard. So it's basically a Linux or Unix emulator on Windows. So it'll give you a prompt. You can do PWD and LS and CD and all your standard Unix commands. Um, if you want to do VI, uh, it has VIM. So one thing that I always do is, like, I set up an alias uh, in my dot profile. So I just set VI equals VIM. You can also do that from the command prompt by just typing alias VI gets uh, VIM in single quotes. And you can just type VI and run VIM. Um, so, yeah, I recommend learning VI for anyone getting into software development because it's standard on all Unix and Linux systems. Uh, so yeah, you run the installer and it'll ask you which packages you want to install. The one you want to grab is the mingw32gcc.bin. GCC is the GNU C compiler. So you want to make sure that's installed and working. So yeah, just run mingwmsys1.0 msys.bat and that'll give you this prompt right here. So I can type GCC right there. And I don't have anything to compile right here, but it verifies that that's working. <clears throat> so yeah, first thing you want to do is test your C compiler. So I think I have a simple C. Let's see here. Do I still have hello.c? Yeah, I guess I don't have hello.c anymore. So I'll go ahead and do like a simple hello.c. So you want to pound include standard.io, and that just does your input and output. So you can use commands like printf. And your startup function is main. You can pass parameters to main, such as argc, which is your argument count, and argv, which is a string array of your argument values. But just print to your screen, just do printf, 
hello world do backslash in to add a new line to the end of that and then int always returns returns a integer so yeah I'll just return zero zero is for success and one or anything greater than zero is an error code so to compile this I'm just going to do gcc and use dash o to output so i want to output to the executable hello and the file that i'm compiling is hello.c so run that and do a dot forward oh yeah the uh sometimes the virus scanning thing doesn't like like it when you use gcc <laughs> So let's see here, Norton, let's see here. I can handle this real quick. Oh, view details, okay. Uh, remove, restore, okay. I want to allow that, yes, okay. So run hello, and then it says hello world. So we verified that our C compiler is working. <clears throat> yeah, so I made a note right here. Some virus software may fly the executable, so restore it if needed. So I'm not. I think it's just because it's a new executable, it doesn't know what it is. So some virus scanning software will think that it's a, it's a threat. So see differences from other languages. I actually had a book. Oh, where's my book? Let me go grab it real quick. Yeah, so there's a book called The C Programming Language by Kernighan and Ritchie. If you're into like a hacker jokes and things like that, that's a good book, a good reference. Those were by the creators of C. The one that I like is uh, C in a, in a Nutshell. The O'Reilly books were really good. So uh, this is a really good reference of all the different uh, commands and libraries and things like that. Um, and also just a good overview of pointers and things like that. So I recommend seeing a nutshell if you can, if you can still find it. So let me go share that back out. Sure. Um, let's see here. So you don't have, like in C-sharp, you have a const command. It's kind of like a global. You don't have globals, but you can use a pound define for constants. So I think pound define will basically, it's a directive to the compiler just to do a simple text replace. So if you do like pound define screen width, give it a number, then it'll replace that anywhere that you use screen width with that number. Uh, there's no concept of a bool, but it but you can set an integer to either true or false, uh, with true being one or false being zero. You got to watch out. Like I mentioned earlier, like when you're returning a code from a function or from a program, zero is success and non-zero is failure. So it's kind of the opposite of a, a a true false statement. So if like if you're doing an if or while statement and the result is a one or anything greater than zero, then it equates to true. Um, there's pointers and structures instead of objects and references like in C-sharp and Java with uh, object-oriented programming. You have references to objects. There's no objects in C, but you can kind of emulate them with structures and pointers. 
Um, one thing you got to look out for whenever you're defining a method, you got to define your function prototypes up at the top. Otherwise, your compiler will get angry and yell at you and sometimes not compile. I think it's just a way that it compiles. It has to know ahead of time what the definitions of the functions are before you actually get in, into the function definitions. Um, so structs are kind of like, structures are like a object. You can hold multiple data types. I think they can also hold uh, pointers to other functions. I haven't tried that. Uh, now here's a big one right here. There's no dynamically sized uh, data structure like a list or a vector that you can make your own with linked list, which is w one of the things that I'd been working on over the last week. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I'm just trying to go back and freshen up my C skills just because it's been so long since I've done anything in C. Another thing you got to watch out for, uh, especially with the GCC compiler, is don't assume that your variables are automatically initialized to zero or a false. Uh, sometimes they're just set to some really weird values. So if you're going in and you use a variable and it's like, oh, why is, why is my ship off the screen or something? Well, it's because it wasn't uh, initialized to zero. So you've got to manually assign all your values to zero or false. Uh, there's no string structure, but there is a character array, char star, or you can use the square brackets for your character string. Uh, there's no, in C, there's no functions uh, natively built in, but you, there is a string uh, library that comes standard. So you just have to pound include string.h. And using that, you can get like the length of the string, or I think there's a substring. I can't remember if there's substring or not, but you can like get in. I think you can do things like get indexes of characters and things like that. Uh, and there's no inheritance or subclasses like in object oriented languages. So, yeah, just going to do a brief overview of pointers. I, I did a simple program here explaining how pointers work. So basically a pointer is pointing to, uh, is an address in memory, pointing to a location of memory. So you can like make a pointer to an integer or a pointer to a structure. And that becomes really helpful when you're doing these, uh, when you want to make a new structure or make a new integer and you don't want to have it static. So if you want to have a variable list or things like that, that's where pointers are really helpful. So doing an int, star p that'll create a pointer to an integer value uh, where p is the address of that in memory and if you want to get the value of p then you just use star p so you can see that in the code right here and one thing you got to do is like whenever you create a pointer you got to allocate that memory using the typically using malloc uh, this isn't the best code here you're actually supposed to test and ensure that malloc returns a value. If it equals null, it means that you ran out of memory and you should handle that. But you can use the size up operator to get the size of an integer. Typically that's one byte, uh, eight bits, but it may vary on different systems. Uh, so yeah, you can print out the value using that star of P and the address of that in memory, uh, you just do, uh, P right there and they'll give you a number of that place in of that object in memory or that that memory yeah the address of it in memory 
And yeah, after you malloc, you always want to free the uh, what you've used so that memory can be freed up to do other things. And that malloc and free, that's part of the standard lib.h. you got to remember to pen include that if you want to use that. Uh, dereferencing a null pointer. So if uh, you uh, declare int star p and that's not pointing to anything yet, trying to do star p to get this value, that will result in a crash or record up typically and also allocating something that's bigger than the memory that's been allocated for it will also result in failures and you can also use the ampersand character in front of your pointer to print out that uh, address location in memory which is kind of helpful sometimes so you know exactly what things are pointing out um, SDL will help you with some of this, like when you're allocating um, sprites and surfaces. Uh, it has spe specified commands, specialized commands to handle allocating that for you, but you still got to remember to free those up, which have commands to do that as well. So to set up the SDL libraries, you got to start MinGW, and then you want to copy that tar file into temporary directory, extract it out, then cd into that new sdl directory which currently is sdl2-2.0.10 and then all you got to do is type run make native and then it handles everything else for you which is pretty nice so your first game first thing you want to do is try to just like get a window up and running you want to sd initialize sdl with the sdl init and you can pass various parameters of that typically you just want to pass in sdl init video but I think there was something there's like some alarms or something which you can set up using like a pipe and you pass an additional parameter sep separated by a pipe then you create a window all you got to use is sdl underscore create window and there's a whole lot of parameters to that i typically use the default but uh you can change the first parameter to be the title of the window and then it looks like the fourth and fifth parameters are the width and height of the window <clears throat> and after you do that you can get a reference to the window uh, memory to draw on uh, by using sdl get window surface and just to draw a rectangle you can use sdl fill rect so in this example code right here um, i'm just drawing a cyan color rectangle on top of the screen and it, it delays for two seconds and so yeah you can use this sdl or map rgb to pass in the r g and b so setting g and b which is this 0x ff which is 255 in hexadecimal that so that's zero red 255 green 255 blue which is cyan <clears throat> so it just basically drops draws this cyan colored rectangle right there and then you want to like update the surface window surface with SDL update window surface. Then I added a little bit of delay right here, 2000 milliseconds, which is two seconds. So it doesn't immediately pop up and close. So then after you're done with the window, you call SDL destroy window and then SDL quit, which uh, shuts everything down. So yeah, after you got your window up and running, you want to use uh, to display a sprite or an image. Uh, SDL calls these surfaces, 
which are basically sprites in other languages. So you use SQL load BMP to load a bitmap sprite. Uh, it can only load BMPs, like standard Windows BMP files by default. If you want to do pings or JPEGs, there is a, a standard SQL library for that. It's just another thing you just got to go out and uh, install, which isn't too bad. <clears throat> so they have a thing called the color key. So by default, uh, BMPs don't have transparencies, but you can set a spe specified pixel color to be transparent. Uh, so typically I use magento, which is all red and all blue and no green. So you can do SDL set color key to magenta to set that as the transparency color. So whenever that sprite is drawn with that color, that sprite is drawn with that color key, then it won't display that magenta colored pixel, which I have an example of this little squid alien guy right here that hot. Some people say it's hot pink. So this hot pink type color, it won't display. So yeah, use SDL Blitz service to display your sprite to the screen. Here I have a simple hello world. And later on, I may talk about it a little bit, but uh, this is good for starting out. But typically what you want to do is push all of your uh, <coughs> sprites, your surfaces, to the graphics card. So you'll use these commands, SDL Renderer. Or which is actually a uh, structure, an SDL texture, an SDL render copy, and replace those surfaces with textures, which are actually running on your graphics card instead of your CPU, uh, which is a little bit more efficient. It makes your game run a little bit more stable. So your game loop, basically you're going to have a big while statement that runs forever, and for every time that while loop goes through, you're going to do an SDL pull event, and you're going to pass it a reference to an event structure, an SDL event, so you use the ampersand to pass that reference by the address. Uh, you want to stop looping whenever this SDL event equals SDL, the event type equals SDL quit. Um, so when I first started out with SDL, I would put everything in this game loop, all my update code and all my draw code. And years ago when I didn't know any better before I really started making games, but after doing XNA and Unity, I realized it's better to have an update function and a draw function where you do all your game logic and update and all your draw calls and, and, and draw. So uh, for this little simple game that I developed, I created like separate update and draw methods, which seem to keep things a little bit more clean. <clears throat> to detect keyboard presses, you, that SDL event, you just check the type and if it has equals SDL key down, then that means the user has pressed that key. And you found out what key they've pressed by using E key key sim dot sim. And then there's constants defined for each of the keys. I think it's just like SDL, like A for A, uh, or SDL Q for Q. Uh, you can also call SDL delay. You probably want to call that on every update. Typically I use SDL SDL delay 16, which means delay for 16 milliseconds which should keep your game running at 60 frames per second. However, you really want to subtract off the amount of time that you've been updating and drawing, which that can get a little bit, a little bit, uh, I don't know, complex sometimes. I tried doing that and that, that led to a few crashes. So I just replaced that with an SDL A16. 
Otherwise, if you don't put an SDL delay in there, then your your processor will continually spin and it will try to run like 400 frames a second or however fast your CPU can run. You can calculate that delay time using SDL get ticks. That means the number of ticks that have passed uh, since the last loop. Okay, so basically you get a ship moving around. Uh, you want to create an SDL rect or rectangle and then that will be used as the des destination parameter of SDL blitz service. So you're going to draw into that uh, rectangle. So yeah, the SDL rect will hold your X position of your ship, the Y position, the width, and the height. Uh, so it is very important, like I mentioned earlier, none of these are initialized. So you can't assume that X and Y will be set to zero. So if you want to draw your ship at zero, zero, make sure you set your X and Y to zero. And then you can use SDL update window surface. I think I mentioned that earlier to update the screen after you finish drawing. The good thing about SDL, it does handle double buffering. Back in the day, like in QBasic and some other languages, it 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 wouldn't handle double buffering. So if you it would pop things in on the screen as they're drawn. But what you really want to do is draw to an off-screen image, then flip that entire image onto the screen. So that's basically what this update window surface is doing. I think in SDL 1.4 it was called SDL Flip. So if you do have an SDL 1.4 game and you want to upgrade to SDL 2, uh, you may have to change SDL Update Flip to Update Window Surface. Um, one thing you got to check out is to uh, clear the entire screen. If you're not drawing the entire screen, then you can get like the smearing effect with this ship. Um, so another way to handle that is called SDL Render Clear. And that will make sure that everything's cleared. But if you're already drawing in a background image, you don't have to worry about that. And some of the extra things I like to add to my strip ship, ship structure is like the velocity, VLX, VLY, and is alive to see if it's alive. And I have some code examples over here of the ship structure that I used and also handling the input over here to the right. Um, see if I have so I had a test over here I'll go ahead and bring it up right now so I'm in test game so test game zero zero so this is a basic example right here of just drawing a simple ship to the screen and you can use the keys to move it around and you can see here I haven't set the color key yet so you do see the magenta color in the background and test game 01 it's the same thing. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure the difference between that. Uh, just checking the boundings and uh, and also you need to handle like when you get SDL quit, make sure you exit out your game loop right there. Um, so test game 02. This is like where I've initially got the background working. So I basically had a image, a 255 by 255 image, which I'm continually scrolling downward. I got the ship right here moving around and an enemy but you can see there's no collision detection yet or anything but do you have the bound checking so when i'm making a game i typically go through this process just adding one thing at a time getting one thing working and moving around that's kind of like how it all starts so in test game 03 basically i got the enemy moving around so he's basically just going to move left and right Still haven't got any collision detection working right here or anything, but uh, it's just one step forward. 
Let's see what my next slide is here. And so in the next version, Teskimo 4, I got shooting working. So basically this is just another structure for a bullet and keeps track of the bullet's X and Y position. But you can see here there's still no collision detection. You bumping that guy and nothing's going to happen. And close that. Test game 05. So this is where we actually got the collisions working. So now whenever I shoot and the bullet intersects with the enemy, then it's going to delete the enemy. Uh, and later on it'll add to the score and things like that. So at an enemy, the enemy is going to have a similar structure to the ship, an X position, a Y position, health, which I'm currently not using. I uh, usually add a float for a lifetime just to know how long that enemy's been alive. That's kind of helpful when you're trying to position an enemy. If you want to go him to go like in a sine wave or something like that, you can use that lifetime to detect the position of the enemy where it needs to be. And also is alive, which is good. That way you can flag them to be uh, not alive, then handle some cleanup before you actually delete the enemy. So there you can see... The, got the back and forth movement working. So yeah, after I use that lifetime, after two seconds, then he's going to start going the opposite horizontal direction. The bullet's similar as an X and Y position and is alive. Uh, also, you want to make sure if the bullet goes uh, outside of the screen, then you want to set the is alive to false and also free up that memory for the bullet. And you only want to draw it if is alive is true. Uh, so yeah, that's basically how you get started. Just get your ship moving, get an enemy on the screen, get a bullet shooting whenever you press space, and do the collision. This is some very simple collision detection here. Uh, so the first thing I worked on was getting the collision between the enemy and bullet working. Then you can get the collision between the enemy and ship. I don't know if that, that was included in the last version I just showed. So if I had the ship, yeah, so if I run the ship into the enemy, then it's going to collide and destroy itself. I do have source code for all of these. So VI test game. And I'll, I'll put, these are posted on my GitHub account. So on VI, uh, the source file. So here's like the prototypes I was talking about earlier where you def define those. Here's all the surfaces for the ship and the enemy and the bullet in the background have a structure uh, like I talked about earlier for your ship and what and your uh, width and height and things like that Let me check this over here okay um, here's the enemy structure as I mentioned earlier all its properties and the bullets so basically I just start with one ship one enemy one bullet um, Here's a keep looping, which I think I took this out in a later version. That's just to make sure the game loop is still working. And this background offset is just for scrolling the background. It keeps the offset. Once it gets above 255, then it gets set back down to zero. So I initialized the ship and the enemy and the bullet using those values right there in a start method, which gets called on the first leap of the game loop. Then an update, which basically moves the ship based on its velocity and this code right here basically makes sure that the ship stays within the screen bounds if it's less than zero then it pushes it back in if it's greater than screen width or screen height then it pushes it back in 
And here's the enemy. It's like where I'm adding. Uh, this isn't perfect code right here, but it adds 0.2 for every uh, update. Then once that gets over uh, a certain value, then it starts going back the other way. <clears throat> and here's where I was updating the background right here. Then I call check collision. So check collisions, basically, this is a very simple blocks collider right here. It's basically going to check and see if the X and Y position of the bullet is within the bounds of the enemy. So if the X is greater than enemy X and it's less than the enemy X plus the enemy width, and also if the Y is greater than the enemy Y and less than the enemy Y plus the enemy height, then it's collided. So then we want to set the bullet to false, is alive to false, and the enemy is alive to false. Uh, got the same thing for the ship here. The downside to this code, like I said, it's very simple. Uh, it's only going to check and see if the upper left point of the bullet or ship has collided with the enemy. So in a later version of this, I actually changed it to where it moves that collision point to the center. Um, if you want to get even fancier, then you could actually do the box collision between the two. But Typically, if you do the center, that's pretty good. And I talk a little bit about uh, the collision types on that slide. Here's all the key up and key down uh, handlers right here. So they got these constants defined for up, down, SDLK up, SDLK down, SDLK left and right. So you can handle those key presses appropriately whenever the key is pressed down. Or if the key is up, then you can also handle those. Like if whenever you let the arrow key up, you set the velocity back to zero. Here's the draw method where you're using the SDL blitz surface to draw the background, and draw the ship sprite, draw the bullet, and draw the enemy. And uh, also the shoot whenever you press space, and it's going to set the bullet to live as true and set the X and Y position of the bullet to the location of the ship. And here's the main method, which this is the entry point to your program. Yeah, I think in an SDL program, you have to actually specify argc and args. Uh, otherwise, it will complain. But you have your SDL initialization. We're loading the bitmaps through here using SDL load BMP. And here's the game loop right here. This one, I just have an SDL delay of one that's probably a little bit too fast right there so yeah that's the basic structure of an sdl program uh, some other types of box collision so i basically did a simple box or rectangle collision box uh circle collision detection you can use the pythagorean theorem to determine if two objects or how the distance between those objects are so you can if two objects are less than a certain distance apart, then you know that those two objects have collided uh, by the Pythagorean theorem, which is a squared plus b squared equals c squared. So basically, it's the difference between the x components plus the squared plus the difference between the y component squared, and then you take the square root of that, and that'll tell you the distance between the two objects. Um, there's also pixel perfect collision detection. I think that's usually overkill, but you can actually go in there and see how many transparent pixels you have. And sometimes you can like subdivide those and then determine, but that takes a lot of processing power. And yeah, so I typically would stay away from pixel perfect collision detection. 
and then there's also continuous, kind of like in Unity, you're going to have a continuous collision detection for very fast moving objects, because sometimes you have the problem, like a very fast moving bullet will be on one side of an object on one frame, or on one update, then the next update it will be on the other side, so what you got to do is calculate to determine if that bullet has passed through the other object. Uh, but yeah, typically you don't have to worry about that unless you're doing really fast objects. Uh, as I mentioned here, uh, this is like the structure of an enemy right here. Starting out, I just do an enemy array. So I just create like an enemy array of five objects and you can manually assign the properties of those objects and then insert those into that array. Later on, I'll talk about linked list. Uh, you can uh, create a, a method to like initialize all these then you pass in um, a pointer to the enemy and then set the initial values there uh, but yeah you do have to pass use the ampersand to pass a, a reference to that and, and not the, the uh, structure itself I think if you pass the structure itself you lose uh, that reference whenever you pass it into the function Okay, so yeah, that's the structure. Da, 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 da. You can use the uh, hyphen uh, greater than symbol. It looks like an arrow to dereference a pointer and get its value. So if you have a structure enemy star, then you can allocate that en enemy with malloc, then the size of the enemy structure. So that will give you a chunk of memory that's the size of an int like for the health, then int for the x position, then for the y position, then width and height, and float for velocity x and float for velocity y. So I'll allocate a chunk of memory that will hold all of these values right here. <clears throat> so then you can just reference these different properties using that arrow operator. So yeah, if you want to print the x and y values, you just use printf and then you pass it a string, and uh, you use the percent %d to print out integers, and then you pass those integers as parameters, like enemy x and enemy y. And also, uh, enemy and arrow x is the same as like dereferencing de that enemy object, then put that in parentheses, dot x. So it just makes it easier to write that. Link list. So linked lists are dynamically sized data structures, kind of like a vector uh, in Java or, or a vector in C++ or a list in C Sharp. Uh, typically, you have a reference to the head of the list. You don't want to lose your pointer to the head of the list. <laughs> Otherwise, you've lost your list forever. Uh, each element, which typically you call nodes in the list, has a pointer to the next element in the list. So then you can iterate through this list by continually calling next and then stopping once you get to null. Uh, you can add elements to, uh, by iterating. Okay, I already talked about that. Uh, so this gets a little bit tricky if you want to remove an element to the list. Basically, you take the previous element, point it to that current element's next element, then free that current element. Um, and one nice thing about a linked list, you can define an anonymous data type, which is a void star pointer. Uh, and then you can assign any structure of any data type 
uh, to that void pointer. You just got to make sure you cast it whenever you access that. So let me go back to my screen here. Let me go up CD. I don't want a VI linked list. And a lot of these definitions you'd find in a header file like linklist.h. So here's the structure definition of a node structure. Basically, it's struct node. You got a void star pointer data, then a structure uh, node pointer to the next value in the list. So if I do vi linked list.c, then I have various methods I define, such as add node for adding a new node to your list. If you want to remove a node, a specific node, or just remove the first, which is kind of like a first in, first out. Uh, so you push new nodes on, then you pop them off, uh, pop the first one off. Uh, there's other like methods for adding and deleting, like pushing to the end or popping from the end. Uh, but yeah, this one works pretty good just for a simple game. So that's one downside to see. You have to like write all this code yourself. But I'm putting all this code out there on my GitHub. So if anyone wants to use this or copy it, that's perfectly fine with me. I think there are some places for improvement. Like when I remove a node... I'm, I free the node, but I'm not freeing the data for the node. So I think that's one improvement. But I think you got to make sure you uh, that data has actually been assigned to something first. Here's a method for printing the values of the list, assuming that the, the list is a, a list of integers. You can actually pass in other data types. We'll just print like the first value. Uh, I was writing this last night for completely clearing an entire list. And this will count the, the count list will count the number of items in the list. And then I have like a lot of different examples of how to add values to the list and how to remove the different values from the list. So check those out if you're interested in that. But yeah, that's very helpful. Like if you're making a game, and you want an unlimited number of enemies or a variable amount of enemies and just add to the list and, and then pop them off as you defeat those various enemies. So the next thing you'll probably want to do in SDL is drawing text. So you got to download that uh, library for that, and you can get it off the libsdl.org site. You'll download a tar.gz file for SDL TTF devil 2.0.15. It's pretty easy. You just extract that using tar xvf and this and this the name of your file. Then all you got to do is run make native and it automatically builds it and links it and everything for you. One thing you got to watch out for is whenever you're compiling, you got to pass in the dash lsdl2 under, underscore ttf parameter to your compiler when you're compiling that. You also have to do the pound include sdl ttf in, in top of any of the files that use that library. And you also have to use ttf init at the start of your game. Uh, there's a lot of documentation for that. Let's see here. Copy link. And paste that. So you can go. They got the documentation in a lot of different formats. So kind of like the Acrobat right here, PDF. But it'll give you uh, all of the different commands for TTF. But typically, TTF uh, SDL libraries. But typically, I just use a few of these. So, let's see here. You can build a string with sprintf, which is, I'm not sure if that's part of string. I think that's part of standard IO. Um, 
But yeah, one thing you got to watch out for is like whenever you're allocating the memory for a texture, for text texture, you also have to free that up as well. So if you're drawing on every frame, if you're creating a text uh, every frame, then you're going to continually allocate memory on every frame if you don't free those up. So typically it's, all, it's good to only create a text texture uh, whenever your text has changed. And one way you can check this out is if you go into Task Manager under Windows, and if you're not freeing your textures for your text, then you'll see your memory usage uh, expand exponentially. So here's like a little test game right here that I wrote, and it's already up to 250 megabytes because I wasn't freeing uh, the texture for the text. So yeah, just watch out for that. But yeah, if you're wanting to make a string like hello world and pass in a value, use printf for that. It works very similar to printf. Uh, to play sound and music, you use SDL Mixer. Load and play audio is another library you can download from the same location. Just make sure you pass in that dash SDL at dash L SDL Mixer to your compile flags and add the pound include SDL Mixer to your source code at the top of the file. Uh, use open audio to initialize it. Load in wave files. You use load wave. Uh, I think by default it only loads wave. Um, I think it can do MP3s as well. Uh, if you got music files, uh, which are kind of the same thing, you can use play music, but it has some different properties, which are good for looping instead of just playing sound effects, which you would only play once. And you can also use this play channel to play on different channels. But I think I usually just have that set to a negative one, which uses the default. Uh, distributing, uh, distributing your SDL game. Uh, you want to get the exe that's been generated, then all your image files and the DLL files. You put all those into a directory. Um, or you can just grab the DLLs off the libsdl website. Um, you also want to include any other DLLs, such as your TTF DLLs, Zlib, and FreeType DLLs, which are also required by the TTF uh, library. You can download those off the LibSDL website as well. And uh, yeah, include any TTF or WAV file. What I did is I put those in a separate directory. See, LD Smith Projects SDL. Yeah, this game is called SDL Shooter. <laughs> so basically, just put in like my executable SDL Shooter right there, then the DLL files, put those in the same directory. I had a problem moving the TTF. Uh, font file to a different directory but all the other assets I put in a folder called assets like the audio here's all the wave files right there and the images here's all the sprites here I actually created all these sprites in Asprite which I talked about I think a year or so ago uh, so you really don't need to include these Asprite files just to BMPs um yeah, so when you so one thing you got to watch out for there's both 64-bit and 32-bit libraries. I don't think MinGW does 64-bit right now. So I think those are only for Visual Studio. But one bad thing if you try to run your game and it doesn't work, make sure you're not mixing the 64-bit libraries if you accidentally downloaded those with the 32-bit. You can tell whether it's running 32-bit or 64-bit by going into Task Manager when running your game 
And if it has 32-bit next to it, then you know you need to get the 32-bit libraries and distribute those. Yeah, because I think it can be kind of hard to try to find those DLLs within your game hierarchy. So sometimes it's better just to download those from the website. So yeah, when I was starting out, the code that I just showed, uh, basically I had everything in one file, but one thing you probably want to do after your game gets so big is break up your code into different files, kind of like in Java or C Sharp, where you have a separate file for every class. Basically, I put all the logic for like a ship in its own file, ship.c, put all the logic for enemy and enemy.c, and all the logic for bullet and bullet.c. You just got to make sure that like your update command and your draw commands and everything for those have unique names. You can't use the same names between files like you can in C Sharp or Java. So in a way, you can kind of simulate object-oriented programming that way. Just keep everything separated and clean. So in each of these files, like I said, I have an init, update, and draw function. So you know, if I look at the code here, and let's go back and like look at ship.c. So I have an init ship, an update ship, and a draw ship. And so for like an enemy, vi enemy.c, I have a... Init enemy, update enemy, and a draw enemy. So I kind of use that same format for everything. Now in the enemy's case, I have two different types of enemies. So I have a switch statement in here. So it kind of, based on the behavior of the enemy, I use that switch statement right there. <clears throat> um, if you want to reference a function from another file you got to make sure this is something i didn't know about when i first started learning c but you got to use extern then the name of the method or the name of the uh, variable that you want to use if you don't have extern defined then your compiler won't know it won't recognize that variable or function uh, like I said earlier, you want to put all your function prototypes and things like that, your structure definitions and H files typically. That way you can include those in other files so they know about the data types. Um, and also one thing you got to make sure, look out for is like any file that makes SDL calls, you got to make sure you do a pound include SDL.h in every single file. Uh, one other feature that I added to this game is the ability to read the formats or the layout of the enemies and data files and I just have a simple text data file you read a file you use in the file star pointer make a call to f open pass in the file name and then typically I just use uh, r as the second parameter which means open it in read only mode then you can get each line in the file by calling f gets and then passing a character array plus the number of bytes you want to use read I typically use 64 and then uh, then pass in the, the the pointer to your file reader then after you're done reading all the lines eventually this f gets will return null so once that returns null then you want to call f close on the file reader um, you can uh, access individual characters in your character array using array notation which is pretty useful for looping over that string 
And also, one thing I found out is like you need to add the Dash M console flag whenever you're building. This really doesn't have anything to do with reading files, but if you want to see the output uh, when you uh, print things to the screen, you got to add that M console. So let's look at that really quick here. So VI file, oh, read file, I don't know what it's called. I'll say LA. Oh, level reader, level reader.c. So basically, this is where I'm reading it and opening the file and parsing through all the characters right here. So whenever it sees like a zero or a one, then it instantiates a new enemy. So if I vi level zero zero dot text, these are the formats for all of the enemies. So this is the first level between these equal signs. This is the second level and this is the third level. So you can see them like in this triangle structure right here. So if I run SDL shooter, you can see they're in that triangle format right there. But I can go in, like, edit that level file, and let's say we want to delete this second row of enemies, and then we can run it again, and that second row actually is offset a little bit right there. But yeah, it'll basically read through that and set up the enemies according to that... Uh, notation right there yeah i think it didn't like it because i deleted all the characters at the end um so one other thing is make files so whenever you're building a game typically i started out with like a script but eventually you want to put your stuff in a make file that way whenever you build you just type in make on the command line and it will com compile your file uh, so whenever you're making a make file, the first line, well, you can set up these, like, uh, aliases, I guess, up here at the top. So your C compiler is GCC, your executable is SDL shooter right here. So the first item on the line is your name of the executable. So anything on this, uh, this, whatever this is at the first, on the far left side, it depends on everything to the right side of the colon. So your executable depends on all of these C files. So if any of these C files change, whenever you type make, it's going to rebuild your executable. Otherwise, if none of these have changed, then it's just going to say it's up to date. So I'll do an example of that. So if I type make, it's going to say SDL shooters up to date. But if I vi sdl shooter.c, and let's just say I just added like new stuff right here, then I type make, then it's going to build it all over again. So then if I type make again, then it's going to say it's up to date because I haven't changed anything. So yeah, make, making make files is pretty nice, especially when you want to port this over to Linux or something else. You can just like give somebody your make file, that, and then the person can just type make, and it'll build the whole thing for you. So yeah, uh, talked about that. You want to make sure on the second line, which is the thing to be executed, it starts with a tab character. That is very picky on that. You can't do a space. You can't do anything else. It's got to start with a tab character on your second line. Um, and also, there's a little trick. If you want to uh, compile your C file into object files, you can use dash C, which is kind of like an in-between from your executable from source. So you can compile them into these intermediate .o files, and then you can have dependencies for all those com for compiling your C files into object .o files. Uh, just have a few more slides here. Uh, so yeah, last night I verified I was able to build this game on Linux. Uh, it's pretty easy. It's easier than Windows. 
Uh, C compiler GCC was already installed on the system. Um, you can install the libraries, like where I was downloading the libraries and extracting them on Windows on Linux. And I was using Ubuntu Linux. All you have to do is sudo, sudo apt install, then the name of your library. So in this case, it's sudo apt install libsdl2-dev. And they'll ask you, do you really want to install these? And you just tell it yes, and it'll go through and install that for you. Then all you have to do is, like, I have a specialized line for the Linux build, because one of the parameters is different. It didn't like the dash M console, so I just have a make Linux. Just, just type that, then, then it'll build your executable, and you're good to go. So, yeah, and these, like, what is it? Like, eight to ten lines right here that uh, uh, that'll build your game under Linux. Uh, like you can use this one command called app cache search and that will look into the list of available libraries to see what uh, the libraries are out that you can install so you can pass in libsdl to find all the libsdl files and finally I didn't mention anything about random numbers but you can start a random because I didn't have any random numbers in the game uh, in that build but you can gen generate a random number by using the rand command. You want uh, If you want to see that to a, a truly random variable, or not truly, but somewhat random variable, you want to pass it in the current time in milliseconds. So you can use time null, pass that to srand, and that will randomize it to a new value. Otherwise, if you don't press that and you use the same seed every time, then you're going to get the same random numbers every time. And by the way, that isn't truly random because time null only updates every second so it's only going to generate a new random number every second now verified that with a little simple number guessing game i probably should have started out with this instead of the other stuff but uh you know vi numguess.c uh, so here's where it's just printing some random numbers between zero and five and exiting right there but yeah basically you have a hidden number you're going to grab it from rand then to make that a value from 1 to 100. And yeah, if you want to learn all about random numbers, I did a talk on Knoxville Game Design a few months ago. Just look up RNG, Knoxville Game Design Random Number Generator. And you can find that whole talk about random number generation. But you'd be a bit, you basically mod that number with 100 to get a value 0 to 99. Then you add 1 to make it 1 to 100. Then you have the number of guesses, set that to zero, and the guess value to minus one just to initialize it. So while the number you've, you've guessed doesn't equal the hidden number, then you're going to pre ask the user to select a number, enter a number, and then based on whether that number is greater than, less than, or equal to, you're going to print higher, lower, or correct. And then you want to increment the guesses by one. So I can do GCC output num guess numguess.c then run numguess.exe that's where it's just printing some random numbers up there so i'm going to guess 50 this is going to say lower i'll guess 25 lower guess 12 lower 6 wow lower 3 2 so the number was 2 6 total guesses let's try that again 50 higher 75 lower 62 lower Let's try 59, lower, 55, lower, 52, higher, 53, 54. So the number was 54, eight total guesses. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that's all about random number generators. Uh, 
more information on SDL, there's the LibSDL forums right here. Paste that in here. The one nice thing is the forums are active, so it looks like there's people out there that are answering, asking, and answering questions. And yeah, just like four hours ago, a day ago, so this is still highly active. A lot of people looks like there's still a lot of people developing in SDL out there. Um, documentation wiki where you can find out about all of the SDL. Uh, functions and things like that and go here and get to the API reference and they'll give you a list of every single function in the library so if you're looking up for the specific parameters to use and a lot of them have code examples right here that you can use uh, yeah, I think that's basically what that was. There's a lot of nice tutorials out there. I think the best one out there is this lazyfoo.net. So paste that in. And it'll take you basically a lot of the stuff that I said in a little bit more detail. <laughs> so if you want to like learn about key presses, how to handle those, uh, just beware this is in C++. So I'm not a fan of C++, but just know there are some differences uh, from what I've been talking about today, which is just in regular C. But like texture loading, a lot of the commands are the same there. And I did use some of this as a, as a reference for this talk today. But yeah, it gets into detail, like alpha blending, which I didn't, didn't even touch today. Scrolling, text input, file... You have file reading, writing. So yeah, this is probably a little bit different. I guess SDL has its own file reader. That's interesting. Uh, let's see here. Uh, a couple other sites, tutorial points, SDL tutorials, uh, SDL. Um, there is a nice video. I think it's this one right here by one of the uh, people who have worked on SDL. Let's see. Yeah, this guy right here. Um, What's his name? I forgot his name already. Uh, yeah, I just had his page up. I think he's Iculus. Uh, but yeah, he knows a lot about it. If you just want an overview of what it will do is use uh, SDL. I definitely recommend watching this. It's from Steam Dev Days. It's at a little bit higher level than the talk that I've done today, and just basically to tells you how to get started, what it can do, and things like that. Ryan Nicholas Gordon, that's his name. And all about linked list. If you want to learn more about linked list, you can go here and plop that in. And it'll tell you about the data structure, how it's allocated, a lot more detail of what I went in today. Uh, so this is a really good reference right here. Okay, so that's it for SDL. Close this. Stop sharing. So, Jacob, are you still with us? Yeah, Jacob may have dropped yeah, I'm off. I'm still here. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, thanks for joining this month. Oh, sorry yeah. I didn't have anything to show. Yeah, I know this is probably not that exciting of a talk, and uh, I appreciate you joining, though. And Yeah, I hope you and your father have a great Christmas and New Year, and 
uh, yeah, I guess we'll plan on doing another podcast uh, in January. I don't have a talk planned or anything like that. Uh, as always, let's see here. Share screen. Share. Everybody go out and check out Knoxville Game Design website. You can sign up for the meeting list right here. I started putting the link to the Discord in the mail as well, so if you need a link to that. There's an issue with the forums right now. I, th- I tried logging in, and I don't think the login's working anymore, so I may just pull the forums down, and I don't think very many people used it anyway. Uh, I've got the directory and the archives of all our games and events and things like that that are coming up on that. Yeah, so stop screen sharing. It's going to wrap it up for December 2019. Appreciate everyone out there listening and watching.